Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Good morning. My name is Evan Dewey. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't know me, I'm the director of student ministry here. That means that I get to work with Dave Segrist and hang out with middle school and high school students. For the first 17 years of my life, I spent here at Liberty sitting in the sixth row right over there. Other than the Sundays when someone different sits in the fourth row and then everyone needs to bump back a row. And if you have to bump back, then you feel like you're like so far from everything. But if you have to bump forward, then you feel like everyone's looking at you because you're far for- much far further forward than you normally are. And you try to not be upset about it, but there's a little bit of you that's perturbed. And on that note, we're going to read a passage about loving one another. So hear these words from 1 John 4, starting in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. God, we ask that your spirit move among us this morning, that we might be made to look more like your son. Help me to speak clear words and give all of us ears to listen to what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God deeply loves you, and that's one of the truest things about you. And maybe for some of you, that is a foreign thought that you're not too familiar with, and for others of you, that's something that you've heard for decades. Maybe it's something that you heard since the day you were born, that God deeply loves you, and that's one of the truest things about you. If you're in the camp of you grew up going to church and you've heard that God loves you since the beginning, you probably learned songs 
One of the first songs you might have learned was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. For the Bible tells me so. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a paraphrase of the Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. This is the Bible that we give to families when parents dedicate their children. And in it, it says this. God looked at everything he had made. Perfect, he said. And it was. But all the stars and the mountains and oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them, always. Whatever happened, whatever it caused him, he would always love them. For many of us, we likely intellectually know that God loves us, but do we let it penetrate deeper than that? If God deeply loves you, and that's one of the truest things about you, how then are we to live our lives? And that brings us to our first point this morning, that God deeply loves you, so love each other deeply. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And there's an implication in that verse that we're not just supposed to love because God loved us, but that we are to love in the same way that God loved us. N.T. Wright, in his translation, puts it best, I think, of this verse. He says, Beloved, if that's how God loved us, we ought to love one another the same way. So if you remember about the letter of 1 John, it's written by John, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John earlier on. And it's written to the early church as an encouragement to them, as well as to remind them of the teachings that they already knew in the face of the false teachers of their day. The false teachers were preaching things like Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, that Jesus wasn't actually the Son of God, that he wasn't actually the Messiah, that his death on the cross wasn't sufficient for saving us from our sins. So in that light, in the light that this is a reminder to the early church of what they already knew, we're going to look back a decent amount to John's gospel, specifically chapters 13 to 17. This is after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, but before they've gone to the Garden of Gethsemane, where the next day he would go on to be crucified. So to beef up this fact, that we aren't just to love because God loved, but that we're to love in the same way that God loved. We can see in John 13, 34, Jesus says to the disciples that were with him, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Maybe part of the reason it's a new commandment, we've heard before that we're to love one another, but maybe the reason it's a new commandment is because the condition is added that we are to love like Jesus loves. So the question becomes then, how then did God love us? We can look back to last week's, last week's passage in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So first off, he sent his son. We get a picture of what this sending of the son was like in John chapter 1, where Jesus is the light and he's coming into the darkness. And though the world was made by him and through him, the world 
did not receive him. Though they were his own, his own did not accept him. So we get this picture of God sending his son, leaving the heavenly glories that he was used to, to come to a place of exile in the darkness. Why? Because of love. Secondly, to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, it's a big word, and pretty much it means Jesus sacrificed himself to pay the cost of our sins. So ever since Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden at the very beginning, God has been on a mission to restore his relationship with humanity. And the thing that's barring that is humanity's unholiness, their disobedience. And God called a people to be his own. He called Israel, and he gave Israel the law, and in this law was the sacrificial system. And in the sacrificial system, figuratively speaking, the sins of the people would be placed on a literal animal, and the animal would be slaughtered, and blood would be shed, and it was the animal's blood rather than the people's blood being shed. But this was just a placeholder. It wasn't sufficient to continue. Jesus himself came as fully God and fully human, lived his life on this earth in a perfect example of what it means to truly be a human. And he went to the cross and he took the cost of our sins on his shoulders in his death and resurrection. God died so that we wouldn't have to. So the thing that connects him sending his son and his son being a propitiation is the fact that God's love for us is one of self-sacrifice. God loves us with a self-sacrificial love. And if we're to love in the same way that God loves us, that means that we are to love each other in this room with a self-sacrificial love. And that explains why it's so hard sometimes to love one another is because it means that we have to put to death parts of us, parts of us. We have to sacrifice parts of us. We have to put to death some of our desires. We have to put to death some of our comforts, maybe some of our successes, maybe things that are truly good things for us. We have to set aside for the sake of loving others. It's hard. A few weeks ago, I was driving home from the high school winter retreat and I had turned onto my road and up ahead, I see the little old widow neighbor lady trying to shovel out her driveway. And I was not a good person. I see it up ahead and I go, all right, I need to not make eye contact with her because if I make eye contact with her, then I acknowledge that there is a problem and that she's in need and I'm all the more obligated to do something to help her. So I'm gonna keep on looking forward and pretend like I didn't just see her as I drove by her. And I turn into my driveway two driveways down. And as I'm turning in, I'm thinking, all right, God, do you want me to go and help her shovel out her driveway? I've done it in the past. She has family around. Her family should be able to take care of her. I just got done spending almost 48 hours with 28 high school students. I love high school students, but it gets tiring. This was just after we had the snow that dumped on us where we had 
snow days, and then the plow comes, and the plow comes again, and the plow comes a third time, and her driveway hadn't been touched since the beginning of the snow. So it's all the heavy plow snow that's in it. And I'm going, God, do you want me to go down and shovel her driveway? Because I would so much rather go inside, unpack the car, sit down on the couch, snuggle with my dog, and take a nap. And I get out of the car, and Jess, my wife, had just pulled in in front of me, and she says, do you think we should go down and help her? <laughs> and what she's really saying here is, do you think you should go down and help her? Not because she's a wife like that, but because we only have one shovel, because I haven't brought myself to buy a second shovel, so I'm more handy with the shovel, so I would be the one going down to help her. Uh, yeah, let me, let me unpack the car first, thinking in my mind of maybe she'll be a little bit farther along and there will be less that I have to do. And then as we're walking into the garage, the neighbor lady yells something down. I don't know what it was, but it was along the lines of, can you help? And it's like, yes, yes I can. So I grab my shovel and I go down there and I shovel out the snow and she was very grateful and the snow was very heavy, but it was okay, I survived. I did not throw out my back. Young people throw out their back, too, just letting you know. <laughs> it was hard. It was hard to sacrifice my own desires. And I did it. I did not do it in my own volition by any means. I had the help of my wife and the help of the Holy Spirit. But I died to myself. Why are we able to die to ourselves. We're able to die to ourselves because Jesus has already died for us. We don't have to try to save our lives because our lives have already been saved for us. We don't have to try to save our lives because Jesus has already saved them. So let us love each other deeply in deed and truth and in the same way that God loves us deeply. So what happens when we love each other? Well, God remains in us, which brings us to point number two. God deeply loves you, so remain in him. We read in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This word abide that we see here isn't we don't use it too much in our everyday vocabulary. It's the Greek word meno, and it means to remain or to stay close to. And I feel like changing out the word abide with the word remain makes it make a little bit more sense, in my mind at least. We see this pop up in verse 12, 13, and 16. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we remain in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. In verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. John uses this word meno more than any other New Testament author, and a lot of those times that the word meno pops up is in John 15. We're still in this section between Jesus washing the disciples' feet and before they go off to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm going to read a portion of that now. It'll be on the screen, and it'll be in the NIV, because the NIV uses the word remain rather than the word abide. So these words from John 15, starting in verse 4, Jesus says to his disciples, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Jump to verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So we read that in order to produce any sort of good fruit, good fruit being good deeds that make this earth look more like heaven, we have to remain in God. And to remain in God, we have to keep his commands. And at the center of all of those commands is the command to love one another. And to be able to love one another, we have to remain in God's love. So it creates this cycle in that the way that we are to remain in God and he in us is in part through our loving each other. And the way that we are able to love each other is by remaining in God. Remaining and abiding in God and his love directs us to loving each other. And loving each other directs us to remaining and abiding in God and his love. And when the local church, us, lives in this cycle, in the cycle of abiding in God and loving each other, it makes God known. At the beginning of verse 12, we get this kind of out of place sentence, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, the evidences of God can be seen. Can be seen. Jean Valjean, in the finale of the famous musical Les Miserables, sings the line, To love another person is to see the face of God. Thank you. <laughs> Back in John 17, verse 21, Jesus is praying for the disciples and those that will come behind them, and he says, he prays to the Father that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So if you're a Christian, you live in this cycle of God's love, and there's times when we move around this cycle really really slow and there's times when we're living by the spirit and we're doing what God calls us to and we move around the cycle at a pretty good pace. We read in verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So the question is, do you see evidence of the spirit sanctifying you when you look at your life? Do you love better now than you did five years ago? Are you more patient now than you were two years ago? If you look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc., is there more in your life now than there was before? And hopefully the answer is yes. And it's by this that we know that we remain in God and God remains in us. And if the answer is no, then you might have some hard questions that you have to start asking yourself. And maybe the answer is yes, I've seen myself become more like Christ compared to years ago, but it's been a really long time since I've moved anywhere in the cycle of God's love. I've, I do a mediocre job 
of loving others and corresponding to that, I do a mediocre job of loving God. And speaking, at least for myself, I can say that I have been there. And the tempting thing to do is to get down on yourself and go, wow, I'm a really terrible Christian and I need to better and I need to try harder and I need to do more. And that's really easy to do, but normally it doesn't amount to much. Rather, we need to confess our sins to the Father who so graciously forgives and die to ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Jesus says back in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then right after that, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. If you feel far from God, I would encourage you to do some self-evaluation of how much of your time do you spend focused on yourself and how much do you spend focused on others. I found that for me at least, seasons where I feel far from God normally correspond to seasons when I'm decently self-absorbed in myself. I think about back to summer breaks from school where there would be, I would do things in my summer, but there would be days when I would sit on the couch, I would watch some TV, I would play some video games, and I would pretty much just do my own thing the entire day. And I would get to bed at night and my head would hit the pillow and I would go, God, this is the first time I'm talking to you today. And today's over. I didn't thank you for anything. I didn't acknowledge you. I was far from you. And that was after a day that I spent pretty much completely absorbed and consumed with myself. Maybe for some of you sitting here, you thought you believed the right things and thought the right things, but you've seen almost no evidence of the Holy Spirit sanctifying you when you look at your life. And this talk about remaining in God and loving each other is foreign territory compared to what your life looks like. Maybe verse 20 hit a little bit too close to home for you when it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So if that's you and you don't want your life to be foreign territory to the love of God, there's good news. The good news is that we have a Savior, Jesus, who has gone before us to make a way for us to live a life in fellowship with the God of the universe who so deeply loves us. And when we don't just think the right things, but when we have convictions of our soul where we say, Jesus, I trust my life in your hands. I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins. I surrender my life to you. The father looks at us and he says, my, my son, my daughter, you were lost, but now you are found. Let us go feast together. This cycle is like a circle and the problem with circles is that there's no good place to begin a circle. So how do you get into the cycle of remaining in God and loving each other, which leads you to remaining in God, which leads you to loving each other? It's by putting your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And how do you know that you're in the cycle of God's love? Because he's given you his spirit. God deeply loves you, so remain in him.
Our last point, it's a short one. God deeply loves you, so trust what he says. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And when we're in this cycle of abiding in God, which leads us to loving others, which leads us back to abiding in God, which if you're a Christian, you are in this cycle, we do not need to fear the coming day of judgment. And yes, we are still called to fear God, and that fear expresses itself in us falling on our knees and our faces, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You are so much greater. You are so much mightier. You are awesome. You are so, so much more, and I am so, so much less. But as We are on our faces before the Father praising him. We don't need to fear whips coming down on our back because God has already taken the whips that were meant for us on his own back through Jesus. We don't need to fear the punishment when we come before the Father because he looks on us with the same delight that a good father looks on with his children. I want to end by looking at a verse in next week's passage. And that's verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Really? They're not burdensome? Because loving one another feels really hard sometimes. And I want to leave you with two encouragements of how we can see this verse for the truth that it is. First, that know his commandments are indeed not burdensome, but they can appear to be burdensome and feel to be burdensome when we heap his commands on top of the things that we're already trying to do to benefit ourselves. There's this theme throughout most of the New Testament that you can't try to save your life and follow Jesus at the same time. You can't be solely looking out for your own good and be loving your neighbor at the same time. You can't love God and love money. You can't seek the pleasures of this work world and seek to please God at the same time. So no, his commandments are not burdensome, but you have to lay aside your own desires, your own will, your own agenda. You need to say no to the devil when he tempts you. You need to say no to your flesh when you really want to go in and take a nap rather than help your neighbor. You need to say no to the things of this world that they say you deserve this rather than seeking to obey the commands of God. Second, in all of this, all the things that God asks of us, he gives us the ability to do. Remember John 14, 15, where Jesus says to love God is to keep his commands. And right after that, he says, and the Father will send you a helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. And that's not just God coming down next to you so that he can sit there and watch you as you try to do the things that he has commanded you. But that's God coming next to you and with you and saying, no, I'm going to help you. You do not have to carry this on your own. So yes, indeed, his commandments 
are not burdensome. As a practical if you're still unsure how to tangibly love each other in this room, you agree with everything that was said, but you say, I still don't know how I'm supposed to love this person in a tangible way, start with being a friend to them. Not just a Sunday morning acquaintance where you do a hello and you walk on your way, but start with being a friend and with being a good friend. Let's pray. God, thank you for the blessings that you heap on us that we do not deserve. One of those blessings being your spirit. Thank you that you desire to be with us, that you give us the ability to do the things that you call us to. Help us as we go about our days and weeks and months that we love each other well, that we love one another self-sacrificially. Give us the strength to put aside the desires of our flesh that we might love one another well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.